Well, we're continuing our series this week on Elijah and Elisha. We're looking at those two great prophets of the Lord. And we saw previously last week of how they're a picture of Christ and his church. Right? That we see Elijah performing great miracles. And then Elisha, he received the double portion. He, he performed double the miracles that his master did. And they also speak to us of the last days. Because Elisha, he, we know he's going to come again and minister. And, you know, even just since starting this this study, I hadn't really considered it before. Of, I think how much the church is going to appreciate seeing him minister, right? That we're going to be going through it, right, as, as the church and being persecuted and so forth. But then we're going to see the prophets of the Lord, Moses and Elijah, come. And they're going to be in the heart of things, right, where the Antichrist is working and so forth and there's a lot of compromise going on and and it's going to be so heavy upon our hearts but then Moses and Elijah are going to come and they're going to be speaking truth and righteousness and there's nothing that that the enemy can do to stop them they can't be silenced they can't be quieted you know and they're going to try I mean they're going to try and physically stop them but we know the scriptures say that out from their mouth fire will come right and Elijah's used to having fire come and consume his enemies. And and so there's nothing that the Antichrist can do to destroy him, to destroy them, right? And they minister for three and a half years. But then at the appointed time, the Lord allows them to be defeated, right? He allows that the victory to you know come by the Antichrist over them, but only for a small season, right? Three and a half days. But that's a picture to us. Of Christ, because Christ was three, three, three-ish days, three and a half days in the tomb, and then he rose, and then his spirit, as Moses and Elijah, their spirits are taken to heaven as Christ ascended, and so, right, it's it's very very similar to Elijah's first time on earth, and also a picture of Christ ascending, but it was so his spirit could come upon the church. You know, the disciples saw Christ arising and ascending up to heaven probably with a little bit of heavy hearts right because they're like there he goes <laughs> and here we are alone on our, we're on our own what do we do now well they knew what to do they'd received the commandment from the lord but they're like man what's going to happen now that now that he's not here with us and that could probably correlate to another period of time right those of you who like studying the end times you probably read revelation 12 where it talks about the man-child being taken up to heaven, and it speaks of a group of mature believers. They've finished their course in life, and the Lord takes them up, and the saints probably who are left on earth are probably like, oh, there they go, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> we're on earth, <laughs> and we're, we're going to have to go through it. They've, yeah, I guess they've qualified, right, and here we are. But, you know, just like Elijah finished his ministry, he... You know, he had fulfilled his ministry. He hit the mark, and God took him to heaven. But, you know, it do, God says that he won't leave us fatherless. And so what does he have? He has the Elishas, the ones with the double portion. And we're going to need it, right, to, to get through the times that are ahead. But that's the anointing God wants to release. That's how he wants to meet with us. How he wants us to know his power. 
his deliverance, his sustenance. And in fact, we're going to see, right, that, that God sustained his people miraculously for that three and a half years. And, you know, I'm just kind of seeing the ministry of Elijah and Elisha really speaks to us of the last days. Right, in the time frame that we see going on, the three and a half years and how they're ministering and one's taken up and one's left and it has a lot that it can speak to us. But, you know, in one sense, the church has the calling of the Elishas to be those of the double portion, to experience his power and his glory. But they're an example also, not just of what God's going to do, you know, in the last days, but what he wants to do now, what he, what he wants, how he wants to meet with us in our hearts, how he wants us to know him, that, that he can meet with us, he can empower us, and he can preserve us if we'll walk with him. And so there's lessons that we can learn from this. And, and so let's return to our story of Elijah. And we left off in 1 Kings 17, and right we talked about how he prayed earnestly that there would be no rain for three and a half years, and uh, over Israel. He proclaimed that to Ahab. Um, and the Lord spoke that through Elijah. Then we're continuing on in verse 2. So first, first Kings 17 and verse 2. It says, The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that you will drink of the brook that I have commanded, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And so he went and it did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. And so the Lord is, you know, after he made that proclamation and judgments coming upon the land, then the Lord preserved him and kept him. And that's a wonderful picture of, of you know, for the church, is that when, when we follow God, we obey him. We, walk, we take those steps of faith. He preserves us. He prepares a place for us. Like David, the Lord said, or David said, the Lord has prepared a table before me, even in the wilderness. And so the Lord sent him to a little place. It must have just been a tiny little brook, a stream, right? We can kind of picture that like a little stream flowing into a larger body of water. And so this was a little little brook that flowed into the Jordan. And it was a place God prepared for him. It was probably a seasonal stream that would channel the rains from the mountains and it would go down into the Jordan and the Jordan would usually flow down into the Dead Sea. But we're going to see that it did not last long because of the judgment. Well, we're not sure of the exact timing, but, but it was temporary, we could say because of the judgment that was coming upon the land of no rain. Now, the word cherish, cherith, actually means to cut, right? Like you would cut something and divide it up. And, and so, it, you know, sometimes God can meet with us in mighty ways. He can speak really clear words and give us promises, and have, we can have powerful meetings with God, as Elijah had in proclaiming the word of the Lord to the king. But then he takes him and sets him, sets him aside by this little stream where not much is going on. There's no activity, and he's just sitting there. And he's watching the birds go by, right? And the bird, he's looking for the birds, the ravens. Oh, I need some breakfast, right? And he's looking for the ravens come and drop them breakfast and dinner and so forth. But sometimes we can go through 
seasons where we're just dwelling by a, a little brook. We, get, we have sustenance just for that day. Just to get through the day, God gives us just enough. And all the extraneous things are cut away. Right? All the extra. Sometimes God will orchestrate it. You know, even our activities are reduced. Uh, you know, our friends, our provision, all the things we come to rely upon in the past that, that we can always say, well, hey, I've always got this so-and-so I can turn to, or I've always got this provision that comes in, and I can rely upon that. Well, sometimes God orchestrates it so that he cuts those things and they're removed. But it's for a purpose. Because God wants to bring new provision, a new level of trust. In fact, we're going to see through Elijah and his ministry that there's three levels of provision that he experiences as you walk with the Lord. The first one is here by the brook. The second one we're going to look at as well as with the widow's uh, meal and oil. And then later on, we'll look at how he was empowered to go to the mountain of God just by one meal. Uh, but so Elijah came to this brook and the Lord ordained ravens to feed him. And the Lord sure does have a sense of humor or has, a, a, a you could say, a funny way of doing things because we know the ravens were in, in Exodus were declared, or Leviticus were declared unclean animals. They weren't to eat them. They weren't to, you know, be, be near them because they were unclean. And so here the Lord has these unclean birds feeding him every day. I don't know if I'd want to eat something a raven dropped on the ground for me or not, but I guess he didn't have much of a choice. And the Lord told him to do it, so there you go. And But, you know, the Lord sometimes will ordain unusual methods of provision. He takes us through unusual situations, and we say, Lord, this is not the normal thing. What are you doing here? But yet we just have to trust in him and, and obey him and rely upon him. All right, and I mentioned that there, we see three levels of provision with Elijah. And, you know, this is the first and most basic provision that speaks of trust. That if we are going to have our provision, our life coming from the Lord, there has to be that trust. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust in you for today. The Lord is really good at orchestrating that where we have to trust in him. We don't have enough for tomorrow or the next week. We just have to trust in him for today. And sometimes we try to worry about tomorrow and the next week, and then we just get overwhelmed. And the Lord says, no, just today. If you'll listen to me and you'll obey me, I'll take care of you today. And then tomorrow, we'll do the same thing. We'll repeat that <laughs> for a long time. And so when the Lord speaks to us, sometimes we can think of all the reasons why we shouldn't do it or why we should do, be doing something else. And often the, the, one of the things that comes to us is, well, if I obey the Lord in this, where's the provision going to come from? How's, how's he going to provide for me? How am I going to take care of myself? But if we tr- place our trust in the living God, he will provide. You know, I think back to a time that uh, we all experienced here when we lived uh, back in 20... I just forget the year, 2017 with Irma. Um, you know, we went through a hurricane, and, and that was quite something because we not only went through it, but the Lord spoke to us and said, stay here. 
don't get out, stay here. And of course, everyone was saying, get out, right? If you watch the news, the news said Florida is going to be wiped off the face of the earth by this powerful storm. But the Lord said, stay here. And he said, your strength is in sitting still, not moving. Well, we went through the, the storm and, you know, we trusted in God and all those who were here. We, we hardly had any damage. The only thing that didn't make it through the storm was our old rotten fence. It, I'm not surprised it fell over. It, you could have probably pushed it over with a hard push. So it didn't make it through. And I said, well, Lord, how am I going to find a fence? Because we, we had to leave like the next week for a convention or something like that. And, and, I was, and we, our neighbors had dogs on the other side, and we needed to get the fence up. So I went to Lowe's, and I, I said, do you have any fences in? Like, psh, they laughed at me. Fences, they got cleared out the last, because everyone bought the fences to cover their windows. <laughs> That's where, not to put fences up, because the plywood was out, so they put fences over their windows. You know, and as I was walking out, I saw this guy with a load of fences in his pickup. Hey, and he was trying to return them. And they said, he said, oh, they, they won't take them back, because I already put screws in them, so I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, those are exactly the type of fence I wanted to buy. So I offered him some money at a, at a discount because they were used. And he, I bought them cheap, and he took them to my house, and I, I got them put up. Now, I needed a few more panels, so my neighbor behind me said, oh, you can borrow my truck. And so I borrowed his truck when the, when the rest came in, and he offered to pay for half the fence. But I just think about how when we trusted in God, God provided he took care of things. And it's kind of that example. As we trust in him and say, okay, Lord, I don't understand. I don't know why you're working in this unusual way, but I'm going to trust in you. It opens up the floodgates for God's provision. Well, when I say floodgates, the floodgates for him to take care of us that day. <laughs> but he takes care of our needs. Now, then we come to verse 7. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, Pastor Bailey in one of his books says that he thought Elijah was sustained by this brook for about two years. That's quite something when you think he had to trust in God day by day for two years. I wonder what he thought. Lord, you've called me to to a great ministry and here I am sitting by a stream. For, I don't know if he just I couldn't move from that. Well, if he wanted to eat, that's where his breakfast and dinner came from. But there he was for, it seems like a long amount of time, just waiting on the Lord, trusting him day by day. And sometimes we go through those long seasons. It's not, you know, we like a quick answer. Lord, I think I could last about a week doing this. Well, he, he took Elijah through a, a long season of just learning to wait, but it did that work within him. But eventually, the season changes. And we can understand that, you know, sometimes the Lord will take us through a long season, but one thing we can know, God doesn't do the same thing forever. He likes to do different things. And so the season changed. And, and so how did he know the season changed? Well, the provision dried up. When the provision dries up, that's a pretty good indication. The Lord is saying it's time for a change. We're doing something different. And then the word of the Lord came to him in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 and 9. 
And the word of the Lord came and said, Arise, get to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. And behold, I've commanded a widow woman to sustain you. Now, we said the Lord likes to do things different. Now, here, instead of a brook and ravens, it's going to be a widow. And when you think about, well, I'm going to look for someone who can support me, you probably wouldn't think, I'm going to ask this poor widow, <laughs> would, you, would you support me and give me food every day? <laughs> but the Lord knows best. He knows. He knows the ones he wants to use. But, you know, we, we have to consider where he was sent to. This probably gave him a little trepidation because Zarephath, it says, belongs to Zidon. The interesting thing is, is the king of Zidon was Jezebel's father. That's not a good place to be, right? Your arch enemy, the one who, who is not very happy with you, wants to kill you. Let's go, let's go back to, to her old stomping grounds and dwell there. Well, the Lord was bringing him near that difficulty and danger, but he was saying, don't worry, I'm still going to protect you. That probably has some good implications for the last days, too. Because there's, there's not going to be many good places for us to dwell as, as believers, but yet the Lord is saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in the heart of, of a dark, the kingdom of darkness, but if God ordains there, that there, there'll be a light, and he'll preserve us and keep us. Like Israel in Egypt, he ordained a light in Goshen for them and provision. Now, the word Zarephath means refining of metals, refining of metals, right? But perhaps you've seen some people doing metal working or you've seen on TV how they're pouring metals and, you know, but before they can really use metal, it has to be refined and purified because if those impurities remain in there, it'll be weak. You know, you can form it into a metal, but there's, the metal can easily fatigue or it can crack or so forth. And so at Zarephath, it, they had a foundry there where they would refine the metals, the iron ore that was brought and, and so forth. And maybe they could work certain things and turn it into bronze and it could be used. And so, you know, we can see that God was still doing a refining work in, in Elijah and through him. And so let's continue reading in verse 10. First Kings 17.10 says, So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow woman was there gathering her sticks. She was gathering some firewood, some kindling. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray, a little water in a vessel that I can drink. And as she was uh, going to fetch the water, he called and said, And also, can you bring me some dinner? Bring me some bread and, you know, so I can eat. And so the Lord is continuing his unusual theme of provision, right, of just this this widow woman that God says, I'm going to use her to provide for you. But it kind of brings us back to that thought from the Beatitudes. Who is God going to use to reveal his power? Who is God going to show himself to? Well, it's the poor in spirit. Those who have become poor in themselves, theirs is the kingdom of God. You know, and so those who are poor in spirit, they have no other option but to obey. They don't have another recourse. They don't have another resource they can turn to. When we're poor in spirit, we only have the Lord. And so we're going to see how this widow has these qualities. 
There's also the thought that Jesus brings out, that the fact that this is a Gentile widow woman. He's not sent to an, an Israelite. That would make a little more sense, right? Well, it's a widow woman of Israel would have compassion upon the prophet of the Lord. But no, he's sent to a Gentile to care for Elijah. But it's a picture of what the Lord is going to do, right? He's, what, how he's going to flow after his resurrection that God would turn to the Gentiles. And when he turns to the Gentiles, they're going to see the mighty outpouring of his spirit. But there was a problem. Because he said to this widow woman, can you go fetch me some, uh, you know, make some bread for me? I'm, I'm a little hungry. Probably been a long walk from Jordan unto Zarephath that was near the coast. And we see that this widow woman didn't have much. So verse 12 it says, she said, as the Lord God lives, I don't, have a, I don't have a cake, but just a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a vessel. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks. That's all it needed for that fire to cook it because she didn't have much. So that my, my son and I can eat it and then we're going to die because we don't have anything else. And verse 13, Elijah said unto her, fear not, go and do as I have said, but make something for me first. And bring it to me, and after make for thee and thy son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The burial of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to, according to the saying of Elijah, she and he and, and her house did eat many days. And the burial of meal wasted not, the cruise of oil didn't fail, according to the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And so this widow woman only had enough for one last meal, right? And it kind of reminds us of that another widow in, in the, that Jesus said she put in her last two mites, her last two coins into the temple, and Jesus praised her because she gave her all. And so here's another widow woman of, of, you know, of faith where she sees the prophet of the Lord, and she acknowledges that, right? That, that she, as the Lord God lives, but yet she does it. Even though Elijah says, feed me first. I don't know how many of us would, would, would do that. You know, you're on your last meal, you got your last little power bar or whatever, and someone says, feed me first. And then I'll, I'll, then I'll cause your power bar never to end, right? Or something like that. You can equate your own favorite food in there. That would be a sore test. But this widow woman, she had the faith to respond and to obey. You know, sometimes God will make requests of us that seem extreme, that stretch us. And it's not because he needs it. He's rich. He doesn't need us, our resources. He doesn't need our tithe and so forth. He doesn't need all those things that he asks of us. But he asks it because it does something within us it causes our heart to open unto him, to respond to him. And we see this in Jesus' ministry several times. Right? People would come asking for a miracle and he would require something, a small thing beforehand. Right? Like the blind man. Jesus put mud on his eyes and then he said, go, go to the pool of Siloam, which was on the other side of the city. Actually, he had quite a walk being blind, you know, trying to fo- just following the walls you know, till he got to that pool. He washed it off, 
and he could see. Or the Gentile woman who was asking deliverance for her daughter. I mean, a very valid request, right, to get her delivered from demons. And Jesus rebuffed her requests and almost seemingly insulted her. But yet she kept asking, Lord, even, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from the table. And he gave her her request. Or for the lepers who came and said, Lord, would you heal us? And he said, okay. I'll heal you, but you start walking. You go in the way and show yourself to the priest, and then you'll have the miracle. And as they were walking, they were healed. And so sometimes we can cry and cry for God for a miracle, but sometimes God wants something from us. Not for us to produce the miracle, but a step of obedience, a step of faith where we walk in that obedience that's a sacrifice. But sometimes God is looking for movement on our parts. You know, our faith can kind of be like, get into, you know, well, we're waiting for God, so I'm going to wait in my easy chair. I'm going to, you know, pull the handle, put my feet up, and Lord, I'm here waiting. I'm waiting for the promise. I'm waiting for the deliverance. And whenever you want to bring it, I'll be right here snoozing. But sometimes he says, okay, I want to give it to you, but start walking. Start heading in that direction. Even though you don't have, you're still weak and you still are failing and you're still, you know, unable to produce that in yourself, but start walking. And as you walk, I'll I'll do the miracle. I'll perform the work as we start walking in the way. You know, I was thinking of an example from Scripture of a man named Eliezer. Eliezer was the servant of Abraham and Abraham gave him a very difficult commission, I would think. Go and find a good bride for my son. And you're going to have to travel hundreds of miles back to a place that I'm not sure if Eliezer might have come from there. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of his background, if if he came from Ur of the Chaldees or not. But he had to go back there, right, to find a, a bride for Isaac. Well, we know the story is that he went to a well and he prayed, Lord, cause the girl that waters the camel, our camels, to be the one. And Rebecca was the one that did it. And the Lord answered his prayer. But Eliezer gives a testimony of how he accomplished that task. In Genesis 24, verse 27, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and of his truth, I being in the way. The Lord led me to my father's house, and he performed the miracle. Because that's a real miracle, right? The very girl that God had ordained for Isaac was there on that day. And not just that, but she was willing to pour all those many gallons. Like camels are pretty thirsty after a long trek in the desert, and they drink a lot. And she poured all that water for them. But where was the key? I being in the way. Now, he could have prayed that at the beginning of the journey and said, Lord, as soon as I hear from you, as soon as I hear the answer, I'll start walking. But he didn't do that. He started walking and said, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I know you want me to go this way, and so I'm just going to go and trust that you're going to meet with me. Now, if God says don't go, then that's a different story. But more often than not, when we're crying out to God, Lord, I need a touch from you, and it needs to be in a, Right In a certain area, sometimes we have to just start walking. And God, as we are in the way, 
Walking in that way of obedience, He meets with us. He changes us. Because it requires a humbling at times. Where we humble ourselves. We become poor in spirit, meaning we have no other option. And if we do, we have to eliminate them. We have to remove them. We have to ask God to help us. Sometimes He needs to bring us to the brook Cherith first so that things are cut away. Or he might ask, bring us to Zarephath, where he turns up the heat in our lives because he's refining those other alloys and removing them from the metal so that he can make us strong. So that he can be our provision and our portion. And when we come to that place of surrender, he brings a new level of receiving from him. Right? At the brook Cherith, Elijah had the provision, but it was limited. It was just day to day. But that barrel of meal and that cruise of oil, it just kept flowing. It was a new level of provision. It's almost as if they could eat as much as they wanted. Right? While their neighbors were right, starving and, and famishing and so forth, that must have been a, a nice, nice time in their house because they could just keep pouring and pouring from the barrel of meal and the oil and you know, eat some nice, nice dinner. They could even have lunch, not just breakfast and dinner. There was a new level of provision. But that's the place that God can bring us to as we surrender. As we come to that place of surrender, of being poor in spirit. And I just wanted to close with that thought of surrender, right? To the way of the master. Surrendering to where he's leading us, the things he's speaking to us, or the, maybe the pathway he's asking us to walk in. Because we want that miracle that deliverance from our own ways, and to come into victory. But sometimes we have to cry out to him and say, Lord, do whatever it takes to accomplish that victory in me. Lead me on whatever pathway I need to be led on, to whatever experience I need to go through, because I want that victory. I want that provision from your throne to flow in my life, of, right, of the life of the Spirit, not just natural things, but of his life of his health, of his strength. Of course, then we have to be prepared to take those steps of obedience, to walk in the way. Like the widow woman preparing the meal when she had no other recourse, no other food, and she was willing to, to walk in, in faith herself and say, well, I, I'm going to trust the word of the prophet, so I'm going to give him what I have. Of course, then God gave back in abundance. But when we do that, when we come to that place of surrender, we can experience his miraculous power and provision, greater than we've ever experienced before, as we become those who are poor in spirit. And Father, we just thank you. Lord, thank you for the work that we see through the prophet Elijah, but Lord, how he's an example of what you want to do in us. And Lord, we just come to you and cry out to you that you would work afresh Oh, we just invite you even to come afresh today, Holy Spirit, and to work at our lives and lead us and speak to us and guide us in your way. Lord, like Eliezer, Lord, lead us in your way of righteousness, of holiness, and of truth. Lord, and that we would take those steps and that we would, Lord, walk in obedience to you and that you would perform that miracle. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.